Authorized is on Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash authorized pod if you want to support us. For $3 a month, you can help us buy these books. For $6 a month, we'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. And for even more money, you can demand that we read and discuss a certain novelization. Pretty cool. If we get enough listeners, we will start putting out bonus episodes, so tell your friends. Authorized.com. It's not authorized.com. What? Patreon.com slash authorized pod. Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we passively discuss the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Novelizations are winning time capsules that unintentionally accomplish a rare feat, preserving the essence not of a real people in place, but the essence of how a real people in place fancied its own recent past. By adopting a first-person perspective, novelizations do not just retell the events of a film, but retell it specifically using the language of its passionate, listless protagonists. A double-edged blade, this narration also pigeonholes a novelization's ability to tell stories omnisciently. And so, these books wildly contort themselves to explain how we, the audience, are witnessing scenes during which our very unreliable narrator was not present. Novelizations are a math problem, Unnecessarily complicated, but crafted with love. We are your hosts, a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. I'm Johnny Pomato. I'm Andrew Marco. And I'm Hannah Blackman. Grease, which is, of course, the word, is a 1978 musical romantic comedy directed by Randall Kleiser. It is based on the 1971 musical of the same name by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey. The film follows Danny Zuko, hey, a charming <laughs> and excitable hunk navigating life as a 1950s school student slash greaser slash whatever. Um, as his senior year approaches, Danny goes to the beach and meets and falls for the sweet and straight and narrow Sandy Olsen, who in the movie's Australian. It's cute. On the surface, Sandy is a real uptight broad, much, uh, you know, just she's not as, like, uh, rough and tumble as the incorrigible Zuko. But he quickly finds that in their summer romance, he can really be his truest self with her, and also they're in love. As their summer beach romance spills into Autumn's school-centered and friend-centered culture, can Danny and Sandy's relationship survive the changing environs? And how will Danny reconcile the man on the beach with the boy on the corner? It's a great little sentence, Overby. Thank you so much. I think we can agree that all the writing we've seen from me today is exceptional. I, I would say this. better than the book. I, 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 I wish we had read your <laughs> your version of this, Andrew. Maybe you should be Damn. adapting these. I mean, hold your horses. All right, well, um, we can't reference the end game too much in the beginning. Uh, to our listeners, there's an end game coming, and we already did it. <laughs> 
<laughs> the novelization of Greece was written by Ron de Cristoforo, based on the screenplay by Bronte Woodard, from an adaptation by Alan Carr, based on the original musical by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey. It's complicated. And it was released <laughs> by Pocket Books and Paramount Pictures in 1978. It's not quite Cowboys and Aliens, which had a paragraph of written by, <laughs> story by, from a script by, that like sometimes this I get like a book a in it and I just levels, cackle. Though. I'm like, I can't wait to hear Hannah say it. Uh, this one's somewhere in the middle. Like what does adaptation by mean? I've never heard that credit before. I have no idea. Marco? Like, that was the, well, I, so obviously these two fellas wrote a musical. Uh, that's very different than the, sh- the movie in a lot of ways. And maybe someone took a stab at adapting it as a film, and then... Because they wouldn't get a story by credit. So it's to say that, like, some version of this adaptation was written by this person, but the screenplay was written by Bronte. Right? I have a crazy... Bronte. But, like, I, if it's, I like... Have a crazy question. If Alan Carr wrote, like, a draft, it would be, like, and Alan Carr. Like so, it's. I just wonder what that what that is. It's weird. I mean, it was the wild west of screen adaptation in the seventies. I'm surprised they even credited him. We need to call the WGA. Yeah, get him <laughs> on the phone. Well, on the front of the book, I I tweaked the wording just a little bit to be like readable. But on the front of the book, it says based on the original music by Jim Jacobs and oh, sorry, that's the wrong part. <clears throat> adaptation by Alan Carr based on the original music by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey. So that and is something I made up. Is it possible that the songs were written prior to the narrative segment of the stage play and that Alan Carr created the story based on the music? No. No, because Jacobs okay. and Casey wrote the musical. They were like a book, music, lyrics team. But they were responsible for all the things in the original musical, yeah. Andrew, I'm surprised you could look at anything on the cover beyond that Photoshop on their faces or whatever 1970s Photoshop was before John Knoll, because it is they are airbrushed to hell. Well, they were 40. Yeah. <laughs> they were not oh, 40. Okay, Stalker Channing was like 38 or something. But yeah, well, she didn't make the cover. Yeah. No 40 year olds. I would like cover. to point out that on my cover, John Travolta's eyes are poked out. Oh my god. <laughs> the person you Jeanette Blackburn, who owned this book before me. Scratch his I take issue out. with that. As uh, I think Hannah has a lot of guys that you know she like cares about and like will defend to the bitter end. Travolta's one of my guys. Oh, that's I will nice. Always stand up for Travolta, whether he's being amazing in his like early career or he's being completely over the top in Battlefield Earth or something. I'm here for it. We're being yeah, we're in Travoltaville really unauthorized here. I mean, we did face off two episodes ago. I love Travolta. I'm all about him. Amen. Um, to our listeners, just kidding. That'd be really weird. Um, <laughs> You're ending the episode. Yeah. To our, please, yeah. And I'm about to read something from a piece of literature, and do let me know if you know what it's from. Uh, it's Greece because we haven't discussed it yet. Our guest today, Eric Benjamin. How are you doing? What's your relationship to the musical Greece, the movie Greece? The, the whole property of Greece, and uh, what's the, is, uh, how's the book stack up? Just throw thoughts at us. We're ready. Oh, man. Well, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Uh, I'm really excited about this. And, you know, I've always been a fan of Greece. Um, it was one of 
Though I have and I haven't. Like, I always really like the concept of Grease and I love the songs, but I would always, whenever I'd sit down and watch the movie, like as a kid, I'd always get like a little restless for whatever reason. But I really like the story and, um, and the music. Just like, for whatever reason, I had trouble getting through the movie sometimes. But I really got into Grease. I think I was in sixth or seventh grade when NBC had the hit show Grease, You're the One That I Want, uh, hosted by Billy Bush. And uh, that was a lot of fun, and that was what launched the career of Laura Osnes as she won the competition as Sandy, and a guy named Max Crumb won as Danny. And then I saw the Broadway show that that launched, and which I really enjoyed. So I definitely uh, am a fan of Grease, you know? And I watch it uh, every few years or so. I watched it on a plane uh, most recently prior to this, and I was very taken aback by it in many ways in seeing how it's aged. Uh, you know, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but it has really high highs. I think that's kind of what it goes for it. Like, kind of low lows, but also high highs. And then as a book, it is just batshit crazy. Um, <laughs> I found I I found the book to be... I, the, the thing that that's interesting about the book is, it's like, if you're not familiar with the musical, I see no reason you would ever read this book. Um, and I guess that's the case for most movie adaptations of novels, but particularly this one. And I like how they tried to reframe it about a story of love and fun and stuff to more amusing on the music and societal mindset of the late 1950s. Uh, and especially from Sonny's point of view, which was really a choice. So I don't think the book quite holds up to the uh, the musical or the movie, but I do think it has certain charms in it, uh, and particularly in some of the the quirks of the way they talk and some dialogue and just some funny things that happen. Uh, first things first to the listener, if you haven't read this book, the entire book is from Sonny's perspective. Yes, which yes, I should have as Eric insane says, concept. Wild choice. A wild choice, and it really, it really just changes the way the entire story needs to be told because Sonny is not there for a lot of things and we still need to get the perspective of of the the ladies and and it's just like it's 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 an aggressive choice i i admire it from a storytelling standpoint but it's it's a big bite to take as a writer in my imagination, Sonny was always there, like crouched in the bushes with a notepad, <laughs> taking notes, like writing everyone's dialogue, and just like sort of eavesdropping generally on places where he you know, wasn't actually there, but did somehow have now firsthand knowledge of the whole story. Right. Worth noting that they actually do that in the book. There is a scene when he's like, I was listening to the girls in the bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. The weird, th so because obviously... It's bizarre because Sonny is, like, the dumbest character in the movie. Like, he's not like he's a dumb character. He is not a smart person. So to, like, give him such interiority is a bold choice. But I also think it's weird because my first thought, if you were going to choose a character who that was not Danny or Sandy or both to be the POV character would be to be Frenchie. D amen. Frenchie exactly. the obvious character who's there for a lot of it is very sweet is very emotionally receptive she's our link to Greece too she's in Greece too mm. she could be in the novelization of that as well so that was bizarre and there are a few chapters where we get italicized sections mm -hmm. of Marty who is Marsha in this book and it took me about 100 pages <laughs> to realize that was Marty that was Dinah Madoff uh, and Frenchie's POV as well but it's just very strange 
to go with Sunny, I think. But kind of fun also. Marco, I want to jump on, just uh, since you just said it, I want to jump on his interiority seeming a little too intelligent for what the character feels like. And I mean, this book fully takes place in an alternate reality, so whatever. Like, (laughs) let the author get away with it. Like, things happen in this book that contradict what's going on in the movie. But this is the one passage that bumped me. It's very early. It's page 13. This is um, Sonny's narration. He goes... As I think now about how Danny became the leader of the Thunderbirds, I realize he never competed for the spot, never even spoke about it. It just sort of happened. And it wasn't so much that he led, but everyone else followed. He always had the look of someone with a place to go, a destiny already in hand, and aces packed up his sleeve. I don't think he even liked being the leader, and sometimes he would say as much, or just not show up around the corner because he would get bugged always having other guys and chicks waiting for him. But somewhere inside him, he enjoyed spearheading the troops. It's like, okay, first of all, who the who the fuck is this narrator? This is no character I've met. This is like, this is so eloquent. And he starts the paragraph off with the construction, as I think now, how Danny became the leader. It's like, it's just totally out of step with how I see the Sonny character. Uh, it, it bumped me a lot. I'd like to say two things. One... Marsha is not Marty. It's they fulfill no, the same. There is, but there she's is just like barely mentioned. Sunny, it's very bizarre because Sunny Marsha is, is like a totally named Marsha for like the entire book. It's yeah, a, it's very serious. He's Sunny madly not, in love with her. Sunny is dating Dynamite off in the movie, though. Right? Yes, it's, they fulfill the, similar roles, but I want to be very clear that Marsha is a totally made-up character, as there are many, and Marty is in the book as her own character. But I must like have just thought forward. it was like a spelling error when they wrote Marty the four times it showed up. Yeah, in your <laughs> defense, Andrew, so. I thought the exact same thing. Yeah, well, I when I was reading, <laughs> I actually like, I was reading it, and I was like, I don't remember there being like a Marsha. So I, I, and I was like trying to picture her. So I Google, I went on Google Images, I typed in Marsha Greece, and one picture came up, but it was of Marty. I'm like, no, that's Marty. Where's Marsha? And I was like, wait a second. And I went on Wikipedia. I'm like, wait, this isn't a character. <laughs> I, com- <laughs> I was like, who is this? Uh, I'm kind of obsessed with how this book has nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> like this book is a oh. really sort of like thoughtful, nice meditation on like the Greaser fifties culture and like that kind of performative masculinity and stuff. And I think Sonny's narration, like it's not the guy from the movie, like straight up different guy, different character, 100% fulfills different roles. It's just like a totally different human character. But I like him. I find him compelling. Oh, I like great. his perspective on Danny and on everybody. I could use a little more Kanicki, but what can you do? You can't have everything. Uh, I really liked this book a lot, actually. The Sunny writing was so out of step that I wanted to say, since Eric, since you just said this, I legitimately, on like page four, <laughs> typed into Google, Grease Sunny. As if to be like, does this character exist in the movie I already watched? Because I don't remember him. And then I did it again for Marsha. <laughs> I have a theory that would explain possibly what's going on here. It, to say that it is the same universe as the movie. I think that this book, even though it was published in the 70s, we're reading it in 2022. My perspective is this was written in the, that the Sonny from the movie is now a 70-year-old man. And he was there for the historic romance of Danny Zuko and Sandy, whatever her last name is. And they're like, 
Grandpa, tell us about what happened. And this is what he wrote. And he just made up the fact that he had a girlfriend the whole time when they're really wasn't. <laughs> <Not> the <laughs> It really does have that kind of meditative, you know, like back when we were teens, as if this happened in 1959, now it's 1978. Ah, those were the days, uh, which is nice. It's melancholic. This book actually kind of gives itself a way of when it was written in the process because of the lyrics mm. that are in the book. Because I noted with both Look at Me, I'm Sandra D," and uh, What Should Be or The One That I Want, they are the lyrics from the show because there's a verse about Sal Mineo in Sandra D that got cut for the movie and got replaced with Elvis. And then they have the lyrics of all choked up, which is the song that you're the one that I want has forever replaced because all chucked up sucks. <laughs> uh, and so I'm like, okay, they clearly wrote this before they wrote hopelessly devoted to you. And you're the one that I want all these new songs. But I don't think that explains you know, why there's so much weird interiority for character. Because I, Johnny, you seem to be our deleted scenes guy. Did, was there anything shot beyond the sort of from here to eternity opening that we get from, in this? Uh, from the original movie? I don't think so. I, I am not a huge fan of the original Grease movie, which I'm happy to get into later. But uh, I was astonished that this goes on for what 60 pages which is nine chapters yeah which is the you know the three minute prologue in the movie is stretched out to almost a third of the book and we get so much of this backstory that it almost should have just been a prequel novel like we don't once we get to the actual body of the movie like everything is uh you know uh weaker in you know without the actual music that we and and songs that we come to know and love and all the visual gags and references it's it, it doesn't work as well in print but i was fairly compelled for the beginning where it's like oh well this is new to me at least especially because they cut iconic stuff from the movie out of the book yeah it's very quentin tarantino there's no summer nights in this book mm -hmm. I couldn't believe that because there are a few songs from the musical or from the movie too that we do get approximations of the lyrics and oh yeah Frenchie does an entire monologue <laughs> about a dream she had yeah beauty school dropout and she basically does the whole beauty school dropout so bizarre to be like we have to keep beauty school dropout I mean, it's like a David Lynch scene she's like I had a dream there was an <laughs> angel <laughs> and he kept saying it over and over again <laughs> I, I was shocked that they completely omit, uh, yeah, Summer Lovin', basically, because, I guess because we don't need the recap since we've already read all about it. Uh, but it is, like, such an iconic moment from the film. Uh, it, it would also make Sonny very contradictory. Yeah. Because Sonny was there. He, was he there. can't be like, who is this girl? Yeah, so... Sonny, tell me more, yeah, Danny. Tell me of more. There's of, like, the, the little prelude we get. One, because... Danny is still like greasering it up at the beach. So it's not like Sandy should be surprised that he's kind of a punk when they meet at school. So that's a whole thing. Yes. Uh, I also feel like uh, Summer Nights is so important to Danny Zuko's character because he's like, oh, right, I have to posture in front of my friends. I can't be earnest about this girl. And that right. colors the rest of his behavior and causes the conflict of the movie. So and without it, it's just like, he's like, yep, I'm a shitbag. And you're like, okay, why? Just, just to just to stop us down for a second, we just have to explain. I, this, this requires more explanation than a usual episode because there's so much invention in the book that the first eight chapters and 57 pages are about 
the the summer it's like and and the situation in the summer is that Sonny sometimes goes to live with his aunt at the beach and he like helps out around her what her like inn that she runs and he gets to bring Danny Zuko Danny Zuko meets Sandy and 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 uh Sonny meets Marsha is famously his love and uh <laughs> And that's just like a whole, as Johnny says, like a third of the book. Now, we've joked in previous episodes, and by joked I mean said, that uh, often novelizations start off with, with the writer taking all these liberties, and then towards the end they get very uh, workmanlike. This is like the hyperbolic version of it, where the first third is just a completely different book. Okay. And as Hannah said, totally contradictory, because the whole plot of Greece is essentially that Danny was just this sweet guy with Sandy when he was away from all of his friends. And then when he's like in his own environment, he has to act the tough guy and he has to be the jerk. But as we read, he is a jerk all the time. He's a jerk in the by the beach. He I don't know why Sandy fell in love with him in the first place. And I don't know why Sandy uh goes through this thing of like, oh, he's, he's changed so much. Uh, he hasn't really. I like the fact that there was a whole section dedicated to the fact that um, Danny was not willing to take off his leather jacket at the beach. Yes. <laughs> I particularly oh, I enjoyed that. that. Oh, I remembered. There's a series of points throughout the book where Danny's friends are like, why are you behaving this way? And Marsha's like, your friends don't even think this is cool. Why are you being a jerk to Sandy? Which also undercuts the plot of the fucking story. Yeah, he's just a jerk. Choices. Also, watching the movie again, I was, like Johnny, I was very surprised that Summer Nights wasn't in the book. But then when I went, I read the book first, then rewatched the movie. And when I rewatched the movie, I noticed that Sonny's one line in the song is, does she have a friend? So it's basically like the writer took that one line and was like, let's explore that. I think he also gets the, did she put up a fight line? No, that's Kanicki. Oh. My bad. Classic All men are the same. Connect. <laughs> a hickey from Kaniki is a quickie and that patiki. I don't know. Let, what the let words me are. just say before we advance further into the story that the the very beginning of the book is just one of those ones where I was like, "This is gonna be a fun fucking book." So it starts off. Now to tell the truth, the thing you got to realize before you set out to read a story about the fifties is that nothing ever happened. So there is really nothing to tell. Absolutely nothing of any importance. Sure, some history books will say that some history was made here and there in the 50s. Magazines will show you new appliances, a new war, fancy contraptions, clothing, inspirational hobbies, and a lot of other junk that kept people distracted. But this is a story about people who didn't want to be distracted. At least not by anything or anyone other than themselves. We had each other and our music, and that was everything. Okay, J.D. Salinger. <laughs> <laughs> Do you what the one thing that irked me was, though? Was the fact that this guy is talking about how great music is, yet that is the one thing that's literally the best thing about Greece that has been taken away from us in the book. <laughs> right, and I thought he was going to replace it because throughout the book, Sonny is just... It's like high fidelity. He's just naming, naming song titles. Songs throughout. Yeah. There's a whole segment where Buddy Holly dies in this book. Oh, oh my God. God. That was wild. Wow. <laughs> a sequence that is so elegiac and so like, oh, the end of our era, the end of our youth. And I was like, this has no place in Greece as a concept. <laughs> I like it. I found it very poignant. But like, why is this here? This is not what Greece is. Greece is a celebration of these things. Yeah, uh, I 
too, found that opening page really promising because I thought, oh, this is going to have its tongue firmly in cheek. It is going to be sort of making fun of this uh, era uh, rather than paying homage to it. Because my biggest issue with Grease is that the musical, the stage musical Grease, written in 1972 or performed in 1972, is a parody of the 50s. It is, it is basically laughing at what a stupid, dim-witted generation this was. But by the time that- And it's grimy. It's a grimy show with vulgarity well, it, and yes, like it's, messiness. But it's like doing the 50s prism, uh, th- or it, it is showing these like body, raunchy, stupid things like mooning through this like prism of like 50s sock hop. So it's, you get songs like every, what was it? Every night I'm mooning or, and, and just yeah. silly things like born to hand jive and, uh, uh, and, uh, the, and we go together like a ring dang a lang a lang singing a bop a da bop. Like these are all jokes. The, it's it's about how vapid this like nothing language is. But by the time that the movie came out in 1978, suddenly there was this nostalgia built up for this era for, because of things like Happy Days and uh, uh, right. And, and it wasn't greased by this point one of if not the longest running Broadway shows. Yes. Ever. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think it was unseated by Chorus Line. Eventually. Yeah, it was. Um, so yeah, Grease started out as a parody, and then the movie made everything that it was making fun of sincere, and to the degree now that you can't even perform the original play of Grease anymore. Uh, you, it has been rewritten so many times to include things to make it more like the movie, including uh, uh, the uh, uh, "You're the One That I Want" and other things like that. That like the the original skeleton of the play almost doesn't exist, and like I think that every once in a while hints of the kind of tongue-in-cheek aspect of it come out in the book. But for the most part, I think it's just too much of a loving tribute. This is my issue with the movie. Like, my, I like the musical. My high school did the musical. I was like, this is funny. Who knew? I, I agree with you, Johnny. I think the movie can't decide if it's a satire or a serious, earnest romance. And it fails on both points. It drives me crazy. Because I just want it to be, like, a little goofier. When it's goofy, it's great. When it's earnest, it's okay. And when it's trying to toe the line, it can't do it. I appreciate that the book is like, nope, fully earnest. This is an earnest presentation of this story. Like, I think you got to pick, and I'm glad that it picked hard. And I, I kind of appreciate the direction it went because, like, yeah, we have the musical, which is silly and funny. We have Grease Live, which fixes it. It's back, baby. We all love Grease Live, the most successful. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa, whoa. <laughs> Are you about to disagree? I think Grease Live is the most successful live presentation yes, of I the think Tommy of the Kale period. did a great job, but Grease Live does not fix Grease. Grease <laughs> is like, do you love the movie Grease? Do you want to watch exact recreations on a soundstage of the movie Grease? I guess I put just a couple songs in. I'm so like, charmed. Those magic changes back in like, by right? like the the like ramshackle version of Grease Live, where they're like, "We're running around. We missed our cues." That it just feels it has that sort of like rougher energy that I go to the stage musical for. Yeah, I, I agree on the live energy of it all. That was the best produced of all of those things, <laughs> where it did have this like feeling of like, oh, this is happening now, even though it's raining and we set everything outside. Uh, but I do think that content-wise, it does, again, lean too much on the movie rather than the, than the show itself. But I, it, I might agree that I think it's maybe an improvement of the, over the movie. Like, you know... Movie just doesn't work for me. And John Travolta is like not at his full charm. He's like a little bit sleepy to me. Mm -hmm. 
and he's not as sexy as he should be like the dancing he should be sexier it's just not sexy or funny or interesting like it's slow like eric you were saying that like as a young person you sort of like dip out of it you sort of fade like fade out watching the movie i feel that i watched it today and i was just like geez this thing just like drags at points i think you made a good point with like it can't really choose a tone and um because it's you're right like at some points it's like they're just like being goofy and silly and at other points it's just so serious and i also like they have a lot of these individualized these solo songs which just drag the movie to a halt like hopelessly devoted to you is a good song but it just it slows it down and then that sandy song which also comes at the most inappropriate time in the whole movie slows it down and then rizzo has a song and it's just like get to the fun stuff yeah it's weird they cut i mean it's all if you ever listen to the soundtrack of greece everything from the show is there but it's all like stuff on the radio or in the background at the dance they cut all the fun stupid songs that like the t-birds sing like those magic changes and uh, rock and roll is here to party queen and mooning and stuff like that. Like those don't exist as moments in this. It's just showcasing essentially their leads. They had two big stars and they retailored Greece to be about Travolta and Newton John basically entirely. Yeah. Also, I got to say, I think I kind of felt this as a kid and I felt it every time I've watched the movie since. And I feel this less in stage productions and Greece live and other things. Just everyone in the movie is just so deeply unlikable. Like, I just, like, all of them, they, they're they all crass and mean and crude and stupid. Like, even Sandy. Like, they're, like, they're, like I just, like, don't sympathize with any of them. I, I agree. with the faculty of the school. Yes. Pretty much. And, like, Eugene, Caesar. who's getting oh, Eugene, pushed around I mean, left, right, and what's, center. What's that actor? The best actor Eddie in the Deason. world. Ooh. Eddie Deason. Eddie playing the role he's played his entire career yeah. he's great at it he's amazing. a character who's perfect even like what patty simcox is a perfectly nice young woman and they're like we hate you and i can't quite get on board because she doesn't do anything wrong she's just preppy right. and i love the principal and her secretary <laughs> if you can't be an athlete be an athletic supporter like some of my favorite stuff is just that weird stuff oh and hannah's boyfriend michael bean is in this movie what I wasn't looking. The basketball players. Ah, I have to go back. <laughs> My '80s boyfriend, Michael Bean. Eddie Deason is Man Mandrake, right? Yeah. Mandark from Dexter. Yeah. What's his name? I thought his name was Mandrake. <laughs> Mandark. Mandark. And he was also in "I Want to Hold Your Hand." Yeah, nineteen forty-one. Yeah. And he just like looks and sounds like that. I feel like these are all secondary to Mandark. Yeah, I think for people of our age, yeah. I mean, I agree, though, that the characters are deeply unlikable. And in the book, too, I was like, I don't see what the problem is. Like, be nice. Be the person you actually are, which is an acceptable human man. Same with Kaniki, who's kind of shitty to Rizzo for jealous boy reasons. Just, like, suck it up and, like, tell a girl you like her. End of, this is, like, now a 100-page book instead of a 250-page book. Just be nice. How hard is that? I mean, they had to literally coordinate having a conversation saying they wanted to be boyfriend and girlfriend. They couldn't do it alone. They said, we need to do this together for uh, <laughs> for Danny and Sonny. They said, we're going to go, we're going to get in the car and we're going to go steady and we're going to be by each other's side. 
It's a good movie. I really disagree with everything that was said <laughs> for the last seven minutes. Uh, <laughs> we know you love it. I the man who hates coming. musicals likes this. I don't this. really. Oh, I love and Grease the movie. I don't really <laughs> enjoy I also musicals, make that clear. and I watched this movie Grease for the first time for this podcast. For some reason, I watched it before I read the book, which I usually wouldn't do. But it seemed like maybe because it's this famously is like a novelization with a lot of changes. I thought maybe I should be in a position to understand the changes. So Grease, the movie, the magic changes. was my first experience with this property, and I found it quite winning. I was really, uh, I was really surprised that um, it sort of remained propulsive for as long as it did. And I, I, I agree, it di- it does dip at a certain point. The the Frankie Avalon part, I was sort of like, it's cool that it's weird, but I'm, you know, I'm a little over it. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. My issue with the movie, more than anything, is that the plot of th- of these two main characters and like, is is Danny gonna be nice to her or is he gonna be shitty? I actually think that's kind of compelling because high school students are fickle and their pride's important to them and they're they're not fully formed humans. I just found myself forgetting as the film went on what had caused whatever rift we were currently in. I'd be like, what did, did he say something to her? I can tell they're on the outs. So I could not really recount the plot of the movie to you, but I found it really sincere. I was confused, Hannah, by the your insistence that it's like half funny, half sincere, and neither work. I found it to be mostly a sincere movie, and while a lot of the characters were trying to be funny and like cracking jokes, that seemed in character for them. I, I didn't I didn't think the movie was really trying to do outright comedy i think it is Mm, it did fail then (laughs) (laughs) like i i mean i do think these characters are characters who joke around together um but there's something about the performances that are so like hey oh whoa that like that feels like such a joke on that type of person that they aren't like that what they're doing together is is sincere we're supposed to see it as like, ah, those kids, that's a crazy way to act. That's stupid and silly and funny. And I don't think it totally works. They just come across as like, I don't know, dumb as fuck and 40 <laughs> years old, which is the major complaint everyone has with the movie. Everyone's way too old. I'm not bothered by that. For me, well, I think that like, they're the... all old is fine. Yeah, like, totally. It's not yeah. the Dear Evan Hansen thing where one yes. person is old. I agree no, with that. It's like here's 29. the deal. All of them being like 40 is they're funny. They're 40. Whatever. They're in their 30s. They're, like they're adults. To 33. They all look old as fuck. You look at Sonny in the movie and you're like, that man is 50 years old. And that's funny. Like that's inherently funny. And if that's if that's part of the joke, then I really like it. But I don't think it's part of the joke. And the movie is not aware of how funny it is that like Stockard Channing is like, ah, I can't believe I got to graduate from school. You know, like that's not what she sounds like, obviously. But... <laughs> no, that was a great Stockard Channing. I felt like she was in the room with us. And I, I just have to imagine, just... though, you're a big fan of Grease 2. I, I have only very recently watched Grease 2. Um, and I am a big fan of Grease 2. I think it is more successful than the movie of Grease 1 for me. Andrea, you got to watch Grease 2. You got to watch it. Every song is a metaphor for sex. It's so what? funny. Some, and some silly, more and it totally uh, understands than others. how absurd this is. Yeah. Yeah. Good ensemble numbers. Great dancing. 
Michelle Pfeiffer's Pfeiffer's there. Unbelievable fashion sense. Shooter McGavin's there. It's a great movie. Here's the deal. I uh, totally forgot that that actor is in Greece too, and not Kanicki in Greece one. And I spent the whole (laughs) of watching Greece today being like, wait a second, that's not. Oh right, no, it's not. (laughs) Yeah, I'll definitely watch it. I I will say it's one of those novelizations that costs like a hundred dollars, and all the reviews are like it adds nothing. So it seems like whoever picked up the torch, but you should watch the film. Yeah, it seems like whoever picked up the torch from Ron de Cristoforo did not sort of honor his uh, his spirit. I want to talk a little bit did about this even, book. Did you discuss Ron de, de Cristoforo? I didn't. Ha- okay, here's the thing about de Cristoforo. Thanks for calling me out on it. I <laughs> don't have a bio for this author, straight up because I couldn't find shit on him. I mean, it's a it's a book I from like 1978. I I found out he's deceased. Is that oh. good? I thought we were going to say he doesn't exist. I have a theory he's from New Jersey because this book takes place in New Jersey, not California, where I always <laughs> thought it took place. So I have to assume that was him being like, Greece takes place in New Jersey because I'm from New Jersey. I mean, the movie explicitly takes place in California. Like, it could not be more clearly. Yeah, no one ever goes inside. Like in the valley. Whereas in this book, they talk about, like, it was cold in the winter. We just went to the palace and hung out because of the snow. Yeah, the drag race is at the L.A. River. I mean, although it does suddenly make so much more sense to set it in a place like New Jersey, because this whole idea of like, oh, yeah, this summer when we were at the beach is like, at the beach? You mean like three miles that way? Like, why can't you always be at the beach? But, yeah, the, uh, the Johnny, book is the, pretty the, much the, like they're at Atlantic City. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny, it goes from Australia to Atlantic City. <laughs> The the geography is confusing too because they they are like you hauled yourself out to the beach for a boy every day and they're like how how far did she go maybe she was driving three hours every day well um, L A traffic yeah. okay one thing I like about Ron De Cristoforo's writing is that he's really into the world of Greece and you better believe he's inventing characters to just <laughs> fill out. The corner of a room. And they're, they're characters you'll never, ever see again. So, here's one. Uh, I was waiting for my cousin Finn on the corner. Finn was one of the few greasers who played sports and left the jocks faked out of their straps when he was on the field or court. He smoked cigarettes and drank like a demon, but he could throw a strike at 50 yards with a football. On the field, he'd kick off, punt, throw three or four touchdowns a game, return kicks, average around 30 points a game, and at the end of the season, he led Rydell High to the city championship. Yet, he had spent his time on the sidelines practicing his sacks. What he was good at, he did perfectly while he was doing it, then completely forgot that he had done it at all. His only frustrations were his musical failings. What he wanted most but could never get was to be a sax man. So he contented himself with an, an, with an imaginary sax. And truthfully, he played the best sax you ever seen, if only you could hear it. He could really lay out a nice ballad on bluesy jazz number like Take 5. Then he'd get kind of fluid and rotate around his pelvis like his backbone was melting right there in front of you. An actual horn would have taken something away from the total effect. Is this guy important in the story? I not in the movie. He feels he's, so vital to the group. He's not even that important to the book. I mean, plot-wise, he's just there. They borrow his car all the time. Okay, sure. Fine. But, like, it's just nuts. Like, there's a couple more of these in the book where the uh, Ronda Christopher is just like, I had a dream. I dreamed another teen boy. 
He came to me in full, and I'll tell you now. Andrew, I have to point out that, like, you reading that passage, which I had already forgotten because I read this a few weeks ago, uh, the idea of this guy on the football field <laughs> practicing his sacks, it's like, oh, he's practicing sacking players? But then when you say sacks, I'm instantly thinking, oh, practicing his saxophone on the football field? And then when it actually becomes a saxophone, it's it's like such a fantastic twist. This is why I should have this should have been an audiobook as opposed to the written page, because it works on so many more levels that way. Yeah, there's like four twists that. in that passage alone. That character is full of twists. Every time you meet him, there's some new information about him that's like, whoa, he does that? Like, there's there's stuff about, like, yeah, he plays sports and he's really too good at it, but he doesn't care. There's also part where he, like, has this dope car and he's like, but he just doesn't care about his car that much. He could have been, he's a great driver, but he's not interested in being a race car driver. Like, he's just, every time Finn showed up, I was like, ah, yes. He, like, takes one of the girls to the dance or something and is, like, a great dancer, but doesn't care that much. I just love him color it's flavor well this book needs more flavor like that i i agree what? i like well no no i like passages like that i think that that's fun I, I do think bobby barrels <laughs> well, oh oh i can't oh, wait boy. to hear about bobby barrels but no i i think that a lot of the narration and dialogue does have a bit of that snap a bit of that pep but you really need it because what this book doesn't have are any of the songs? Are any of the music? And it that does is have such lightning. It it does kind it's, of annoyingly. It's, it's kind of there. Uh, it's but like when you take away all of the songs out of a uh, you know book based on a musical, you really have to have like a major plot there to hold things together. Like you know maybe uh, some guy at school killed himself and then you lied about to get to third base with his sister (laughs) like that's a story but Greece when you take away all the songs you realize nothing really happens in this you are showing your hand that you did not read three (laughs) cheetah girls and and like (laughs) high school musical three three, and you haven't read all these musicals that take the songs out so for me to read this that has like any amount of songs i thought it was cool some lyrics in it i was like fuck yes we did it masterpiece i was amazed I had no idea Cheetah Girls was a musical. I thought it was a Disney Channel show. It's both. I mean, it's not a musical oh, okay. in which the, the it's they not a songs. musical with oh, things. Okay. It, it's it's a movie with songs. It's not either way. The songs are very important to the story, and they are not present. But they in the don't books. forward the story. They're just some of them diegetic do. songs. Some of them do. But it even seems like there's going to be a bit in this book we'll uh, around page sixty-eight. It seems like there's going to be a, a running joke that they're starting where. We're at the part where whatever uh, song, what song is it that they sing at the beginning that's the men singing to the men and the women singing to the women? Oh, Summer Summer Night. night. Sure, yeah, that makes sense. Um, There's the part of the beginning here where, or or on page 68, where Sonny goes, uh, Kaniki got up and walked next to Danny with duty at his side. I decided to check the action in the lunchroom. See you guys later, I called after them. Putsy was trailing the T-Birds, trying to catch up to Danny. I heard him saying to Danny, Tell me, Danny, was she really beautiful? A real knockout? And I was like, are That's these what songs- your book says? My book yeah, says something different very book. different. My book says something totally different. What does it say? Mine says, Putsy was trailing the T-Birds, trying to catch up to Danny. I heard him saying to Danny, Her knockers, Danny. Tell me about her knockers. Jeez. My Jesus. version is Christ. pretty crass. It has, like, Girls Will Cream, which is not in the movie. It has all the really crass parts of Grease Lightning. It has Pussy Wagon. It has like those, and I was kind of shocked because I know that those are lyrical changes in the movie because they were too gross 
for the cinema. No, but they're in the movie. I think Chicks Pussy with Cream Some of is them are, in the but movie. Not all of yeah. Them. All the Grease Lightning stuff is definitely in the movie. But also, like, there's a line when Sonny is uh, in the hall and he's like, I'm not going to take any of her crap. And that was different in my book. They said, like, any of her shenanigans <laughs> or whatever it was. Like, they made it much. And then I was like, okay, we're not going to get Pussy Wagon. We're not going to get Cream. We're not going to get any of this stuff. Well, I found yeah, the Grease Lightning. I found the book to be pretty crass. And also just, like with some of the weirder sexual innuendos I've ever heard in my life, particularly one that um, really struck me. They said on page 41, Marty and Danny were hanging on each other like they had been for years. Danny running his hand around her ass, Marty coming, combing her hair through the hair on Danny's chest with her fingers. They were like brother and sister. Disgusting. That's in my book. I have that bookmarked as they were like brother and sister. And that's actually Marty, right? Yeah, that's, no, that's Marty. That's Marty. I think that's why I got confused because then they would Marsha would be like, "I was at a sleepover, just me, Jan, Frenchie, Rizzo, no Marty, <laughs> just Marsha, me." Okay, it is fascinating that we have different editions, but the point I was going to make is that it seems at first that Sonny, being like a, a side character in the movie, that in this book. He was just going to, like, barely miss or kind of overhear all the songs. <laughs> and I, I thought, like, that is funny. Like, if he's just, like, that walking by the cafeteria and he's like, they were just doing a whole thing in there. There are quite a few numbers where the book is like, they were really juking. They were like, we're, ha- we're a sing and dance kind of gang. Um, but, yeah. like, they imply that there is music genuinely happening. I also really like towards the end, they're about to get into a genuine rumble and there's like five paragraphs. Like we've never been in a fight before. We're really, yes. we just, we just have a good front. What do you do in a, a bunch fight? Of dance we don't men. really know. Yeah. Also, <laughs> Hannah, in that, I believe that was the same section, which I found interesting, where after 140 pages of harassing everyone that comes in their site, uh, Sonny goes, you know, but the thing that differentiates us from these other guys is we're nice guys. Like, yes. Sure, we're total assholes, but we're nice guys. And make a point to go out of his way to saying what nice guys they are. In the point where, at the beginning, he's like, I felt bad picking on Eugene, but he deserved it. (laughs) Yes, they are not nice guys. There's also a point pretty early where Danny's like, I can't go with Sandy. She's a nice girl. What's she doing with a guy like me? And Sonny's like, you're a nice guy, Danny. Um, Which does not feel true to his character. But they have to, like, lay the groundwork a little early. Well, and in this vein, like, without, like, John Travolta's, like, sort of mawkish shenanigans and him, like, sort of really playing up the physicality of it, the drive-in scene just feels like a horrible sexual assault. There's nothing, like, even at all comical. Yeah, it's awful in the book. I mean, she's she's literally saying, Danny, get off, you're hurting me. It's like, oh, okay, this isn't like Travolta going, hey, hey, let me just cop a feel here or something, or, you know, getting the door slammed on and stuff. None of it's, I mean, okay, none of even that is fun, but at least they try to uh, make this, like, heightened and not real. But in the book, it's just, oh, gosh, this the, guy's the about to be redeemed in, in 20 pages. It's horrible. It's yeah. horrible. But here's the passage Hannah was talking about, which is, uh, uh, but, 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 she's out of my league, Sonny, out of my territory. It was good for one night, but we're worlds apart. Besides, she's leaving an- another day. I guess the fling is flung. Ah, Danny, that don't sound like you. Sonny, she's a nice girl. What she want with me? Danny, you're a nice guy. We both had a hard time sleeping that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But uh, Johnny, what you're saying about the assault was, it, it definitely reads like that in the book, but I felt like the book also took that like, that classic asshole argument of like men being like, this is evolutionary things that desire because the way they they do it is um is they say Danny began to notice the steady rise and fall of Sandy's breasts and he started biting his lower lip trying to control himself he was fighting desperately with his better judgment and losing fast it's like he couldn't he just couldn't control himself to grow through mm-hmm. which is yeah, it's sort of fine to be able to laugh at that as this, like, Neanderthal man, uh, except he's about to be totally validated because Sandy realizes that uh, the way to fix all of this is to be the little whore that he wants her to be. Yeah, and um, he also pulls yeah. the classic, I thought you liked me line. Yeah. Ugh. It's so, talking about, like, how Travolta's performance kind of makes that fun in the movie, like, it's obviously a bad scene, she storms off, but he's so idiotically about it. Um no, it's so goofy. It's so the way goofy. They do it, where he's got his like arm and he's like, Ugh. I do think it's it's like it's it's so dorky. And that's not weird. in the book, and that's fine. And then there is one moment of the book where I was like, well, this is Travolta's performance, and I think it is like written in the stage musical. Marco, Johnny, let me know if I'm totally wrong. But the the part in the movie where Travolta goes like, don't make me laugh, ha ha, which is funny and iconic to the Travolta performance. Is like in the book. Like, yeah, it's, it's in there. Written out that way yeah. in a way that like really surprised me. Which I wouldn't be surprised if it was in the original stage show because it was Barry Bostwick on Broadway who has a simply could, who could pull off that line. Okay. So I feel like it might be. It was just original. the thing where like I, it's about halfway through the book and I was like, okay, I understand how this book is engaging with the movie, and then suddenly there was a moment that I was like, ah, Travolta, mm-hmm. just um, really took me off guard. It's. I I don't know when I discovered this, but like it really blew my mind when I learned that this came after Saturday Night Fever because Saturday Night Fever, a a film that also like goes to incredibly dark places for a dance movie and has an actual rape in it, uh, seems like it's the kind of film that is rebelling against a film like Grease. It, it seems like the kind of film that Travolta like has to shake off his nice guy goofy image is like I need to do something real and gritty now and the fact that it went in reverse like I think is very telling to where Travolta's career was going for most of the 80s uh, you know right. after making and before, one of the best movies before Saturday Night Fever is Carrie yeah. in which he plays an absolute asshole mm-hmm. so like I know he did the boy in the plastic bubble and that's how he met the director of this movie yeah. but like he really was in an asshole zone and even when you get the blowout He's still an asshole. Oh yeah, man. no. I mean, well, I mean, that, it was the '70s. We we loved our antiheroes and 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 darkness. But yeah, I mean, and then uh, the Sweat Hogs. Miss, welcome back, Cotter. Like they're the likable crew, but they're also like the misfits at school who no one likes. They're like the 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 remedial uh, crew who's like going to be held back, which is why that high school show ran for like seven seasons or whatever it was. Well, Danny Zuko's not graduating high school. You know, <laughs> yeah, they all have to go to summer school. Hey, he got a Letterman jacket. He got a Letterman sweater. He does letter and track. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that whole thing, which is in the movie where he's like, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, we gotta give up all this greaser stuff. It's time to move forward. Is either not in the book or is glossed over so fast I missed it. Wait, but there's but, a lot of him doing sports in yes. the book. Oh, there yeah. is a lot of him that. doing the sports. Including him leaving a race to have a conversation with his friends. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
Which, Andrew, you did all the time on the track team in high school. Well, the thing about me on the track team was that I was I was so many laps ahead of everyone else that I could stop and, and discuss other matters and, and still still be a contender. And, and you weren't sweating at all? Never red-faced or sweaty? Uh, no, no. I was, I, I was always very... I definitely don't have such a problem with sweating during exercising that I'm, like, seeing specialists about it. So... <laughs> Well, neither does Danny Zuko. So. No, he looks good every time he'd be running and doing those uh, hurdles. Yeah. He's a Let's sportsman. talk about the way the uh, narration totally contorts itself to make sense. So I have a couple instances of it here. Uh, basically, there's one instance where he, uh, Sonny is just like, oh, yeah, Marsha told me everything that happened at the sleepover, and now mm-hmm. I'm going to tell it in narrative form. And then, like, now I'm basically going to write the <laughs> chapter where that would happen. And then there's the other one where he, for uh, motivations unclear, just gets up in their, the men's bathroom to listen through the air vent to the, the ladies talking. And it's, mm-hmm. like, just the book over and over again being, like, <laughs> Uh, Sonny, Sonny just knows. That's how you know. Sonny, There's Sonny also... just knows everything. Well, he's never going to class. He's got to be listening in on stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. He's failing. At the dance. I mean, the reason that Danny and Sonny and Sandy don't win the dance contest is because Sonny and Marsha are there and they're all dancing together instead of in pairs. So they get kicked out. Not the same in the movie. I like that it was a first person narrator, but I think that a way to fix this is to have multiple first-person narrators. Like, Sonny narrates these portions, Frenchie narrates these portions, maybe there's a, uh, ooh, Kaniki's point of view and Rizzo's point of view section, and that could really add some cool layers and variety to it, and it would cover up all these holes where, like, you know, Sonny is describing Frenchie, describing her dream, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if any of you have ever read the novel election on which the movie election is based. But it's written like that, where books, like chapters or sections of chapters, are all POVs. And it'll say, you know, Tracy Flick at the top and then do that. Like, it would have been cool to hear Danny and Sandy's perspective or Frenchie or someone watching from the thing, which is, what book did we get that in? Mean Girls. Mean Girls, where we just got very weird, like, POV sections where it's like, why is this from Regina's point of view? Or why (laughs) is this from Katie's or whatever it was? There's the scene uh, that we've already discussed that ends in the assault, but before it gets assaulty, uh, Sonny is describing his own interaction with Marsha, which will end assaulty, and uh, he goes, Meanwhile, in the back, I caught bits and pieces of Danny's scene with Sandy, as they did of me and Marsha. From what I picked up and what Danny told me afterwards, here's pretty much what was happening. He's literally doing, like, I think it would go a little bit like this I, I i wrote down he's he's writing this book like he's writing in cold blood he's like <laughs> i did research and and this is what i imagined they were saying to each other and also on top of that he doesn't just introduce it but he also closes it out sometimes um like in uh after the uh scene at the end where apparently we we actually get sandy's motivations for changing with her conversation with Marsha. um Sonny has to has to give his thoughts on their conversation as well and also continues to show his intelligence because uh, he says, for someone like me who's basically tuned in, I felt it in the air. Things were about to happen. Mm. He's building up mm. the suspense. 
to his high school career. Amazing. Yeah, he's got Spidey senses that just align perfectly with like the narrative ebbs and flows. <laughs> Can we talk about his very closing statement in the last chapter of this book? Yeah. It's like a paragraph long. Yeah, and who wants it's to amazing. read it? I'm reading too much. Are we talking about the very last chapter, or the last paragraph of the book? Yeah, because yeah. It, it ends obviously, like the there is like a we go together sort of facsimile and like we all had a great time swinging summer hanging out i don't know why i said swinging booyah booyah and then there's this last chapter yeah all right yeah chap do you want me to the whole chapter is maybe three paragraphs should i read the whole yeah thing? do it do it okay chapter yeah, your best chapter of greece by ronda cristoforo <laughs> and then I want to circle back to the sock hop a little bit because oh, we got funny stuff. stuff. There's, I got, I, there's so much there. Do you see how many there. bookmarks I have? Yeah, I know. I just if we're getting to the end, I don't want to get to the end. I'm not done. I'm not. We're done. not. That's we all. won't. Okay. Okay. So school ended, and we had our girls back, and we were all in love, and everything was terrific. Hunky dory, right? Sure. We both know better. Me, Kanicki, and Danny went to summer school together and finally graduated from Rydell without too much ceremony, except for a pretty good drunk we tied on in the parking lot of the palace with the ladies. I love how often they're just getting smashed in this book, by the way. It's really, like, quality um, <laughs> 50s high schooler stuff. We picked yeah. up some suds, yeah. <laughs> love it. I'm really a big fan. By the fall, things started changing too quickly. It was too much to face and keep up with at the same time. We had to look for jobs, clean up our act, and things of that nature, which I promised myself I wouldn't talk about here. That New Year's Eve, we had a big party with the T-Birds and the ladies as we saw the last of the nifty 50s. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think any of us felt all that terrible about seeing that decade and that part of our lives finally coming to a close. Which is insane because they just had like the best year of their fucking yeah, life. Yeah, that confused me. It's that only no going downhill from here. <laughs> I can't believe that the book didn't do the thing that like uh, American Graffiti does and tell us which ones died in Vietnam. Like... <laughs> <laughs> goes so downhill oh they're all draft dodgers <laughs> i think all these guys by vietnam of? are mostly too old to be drafted yeah <laughs> no not, not the actors <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i want to know what they would have thought of the hippies like did frenchie go like join a commune <laughs> i need to know it does feel like you want a little more no it does you want a little more closure on the characters and it feels like you're about to get it and then he's like, I said I wouldn't talk about that, though. Zoink! <laughs> Pulls that rug right out and wraps the book up in, like, a sentence. But it, it, the, the, the closing line that you were talking about being so confusing, it is so confusing. Because the book, as you say, leans so far into sincerely saying, these were great times. We were so in love. It was all so real and good. And then in the last paragraph, he goes... I was happy to leave that behind. God, dark <laughs> times, you know? <laughs> like, nobody was, loves high school, sure, but, like, clearly that is the pinnacle of a lot of these kids' lives. Yeah, also, I was so taken aback by that, too, because there's a literal discussion over and over again in the book of them talking about, like, well, what's going to happen after high school? Let's not think about that. All we have is the now and how great this is and how much we love this. So they're insisting on it over and over again through the book. And then the last line, like you guys said, was like, and then we were happy to leave it behind. I was like, what? And it's not like they're happy to leave it behind because their futures are so bright and it's great. No, they talk and they about have how their girls. Yeah, it's so, like, I could understand them being like, we finally figured out how to be grownups in our senior year of high school. We settled down with our girls and we pulled ourselves together and we're ready to move forward. And it's like, no, it's so sad. It's really a bizarre, like, veer in the last second. How could they be happy 
to leave behind Bobby Barrels. F- fucking just from, read it, Andrew. From page 17. <laughs> I mean... Who could forget page 17? Like, a great page. The most important page. The page of consent. Um, the, <laughs> the thing about Bobby Barrels, like Finn before him, uh, I mean, he's actually after him, but I mentioned him earlier, is that why put him in? He's so vivid. Here we go. We were settling down from all the excitement Rizzo had caused, just as Bobby Barrels zoomed up to the corner. Barrels was possessed by automobiles and women, and talked freely and without encouragement on both subjects. She could be the woman or the car, with greased linings, cushy springs, and a flooded carburetor. He revved her up, slipped the clutch, dropped her into reverse, and, the very next second, flat-shifted from low to high gear like grease lightning, reeled around a crooked corner, given her the juice, and rode her high and hard down Demon's Run, slamming on the brakes before he dropped his trans. Bobby Barrels does not come back. He just is here for this one paragraph. At least, like, Finn recurs through the book. Yeah, this guy just shows up for a second to do nothing, then is gone. But he gets the he gets the most lavish narrative carpet rolled out before him. I mean, this is a hero's entrance. <laughs> and then well, they literally yeah, just like a... <laughs> cut the shit, get out of here. <laughs> he does. He's, he's got a name like a Tim Robinson character. Like I need <laughs> to see Bobby Barrels on. I think you should leave now. I mean, this is page seventeen of the book. Yeah, you know, maybe uh, uh, Ron De Cristoforo, uh, you know, halfway through, start, suddenly started thinking like, okay, I just need to finish this thing, and he stopped. You know, yeah, maybe that's why they're happy to leave the fifties behind because they killed Bob. <laughs> and they just don't want to talk about it. I said I wouldn't talk about it here. Okay, maybe. I just really wanted to read the Bobby Barrels thing. We Speaking know. of their futures, yeah. why are they? Dreading to hand drive? going to college when the college none seems of them fun. are going to college. I don't, I don't think, think they're going to college. Single college. One of these kids they're going to going a to trade college. school to be mechanics. Wow. Sure. Okay. I misread everything. I mean, there's that whole part where Sonny's dad is like, what do you think you're going to do? And he's like, I don't know, dad, for like 14 careers. Like his dad is he like, do you want to be an accountant? And he's like, I don't killer know. Yeah, dude, that's is, a good is gig. grandma aunt. She seems great. Yeah. I want to hang out with and her. And also, well, it's something I noticed um, because it was by page 17. While they're uh, staying with the aunt at the end, if if he worked there, they could have more opportunity to play fun games over the summer. Um, I was just really taken aback by some of the games that they play. I don't know if you guys picked this up. They play Hide the Belt, Chinese Torture, Buck Buck, Electrocution, <laughs> a high wire challenge, and Hand Grenade, a war game played with fresh eggs. 50s were a <laughs> wild time. So none of these are real games. They're just like zapping each other and being like, it's a game. Yeah, I think the like street gang aspect of these kids like really works for me. That they're like hanging out, they're so bored, they're causing trouble. That like they're just like causing drama because there's nothing better to do: stealing car parts, getting chased. But are they a gang <laughs> or are they a club? Like the Jets in West Side Story, they're a gang. <laughs> they're doing hate crimes. They're bad people. But 
the T-Birds seem to just be like the auto shop club. They're like the <laughs> suburban version. Like they want to be street. They want to be the Jets. They're posers. But they live but in where, suburban New Jersey slash California. Like who's this other gang with Crater Face? Where, <laughs> where are they from? Do they go to that high school? They must go to the other high school in town. I mean, although in the movie, that guy is like definitely not in high school. Like I can't buy it at all. Why? Well, yeah, I think he's been out for a while. <laughs> Even by the standards of Greece. So that's sock hop, Hannah. Yeah, I want to talk about the sock hop. American bandstand. Yeah, the national bandstand. Remote thing ever. Which only makes sense if they're in California. (laughs) Are you guys talking about the dance? Yeah. Did you guys happen to see that insanely fat woman that Kaniki brought to the dance? (laughs) (laughs) It is. This book is so rude to Cha Cha (laughs) for reasons I don't understand. Yeah, they really go in on Cha Cha. And like. You know, so in the movie, instead of being... In the book, she's, like, fat. And everyone's like, Kaniki, you dumb douche. And in the movie, she's a slut, is the implication. And that's why they're all like, Kaniki, you dumb douche. But she is, like, a great dancer in the movie. And in the book, they're just like, you picked a dud, man. Which is so fucking mean. I feel like mean. in the book, in the, in the original musical, I also feel like she's a good dancer. Like, I feel like that's the whole thing. She's supposed to cause drama. Because she's, like... I mean, as we learned from Hairspray, there's no reason you can't be heavier and be a great dancer, which feels like what the book is about to do. It's like maybe Kaniki brought like not a pretty girl, but she's going to like crush it in this competition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not what the book does. And it like hurt my feelings on her behalf. But also what's fat in 1950, you know? I mean, in the movie, Jan maybe is like, they're like, you're fat, Jan. And she's like, I weigh 130 pounds. Like, she is a very (laughs) svelte, normal young woman. I think it's because she, like, eats snacks. (laughs) She's seen ingesting food in the movie. What a porker. Oh, boy. So unfair. Does anyone have the the attack on Cha-Cha at hand? Okay, I found the dance. We're getting closer. Yeah, it's on page 153. Um, second to last pair, third to last paragraph. Standing next to Kanik was this incredibly fat and greasy girl in a puffy, peachy pink dress, white anklet socks, and green shoes. That's just, like, so unflattering on every level. Like, not only is she fat, but she's greasy, and she's dressed poorly. And then they don't like how she is as, like, a human being. I hate to say it, but this girl looked like a cartoon. It was too much to be real. And the first words out of her mouth didn't make it any better. It's it's, it's not nice. She's a real pumpkin, Marsha says. And then later on, maybe I've given Cha-Cha a raw raw deal here. Because as long as she kept her mouth shut and had her back turned to you, she wasn't that bad to take. Pretty brutal. So brutal. So mean. Speaking of the the dance, though, just this whole dance sequence, I just thought from top to bottom was handled so much better in the movie. From the conflict with Cha-Cha and Sandy, Cha-Cha being a slut, and obviously actually getting to watch good dancing versus seeing it described and also the fact that there was so much build up to the dance in the book that was like not necessary like do we really need to hear about the picture party before the dance like just get to it 
Yeah, there is so much like color in it. It should be a bigger deal. And then we're in the movie, like, it's another bad break in Sandy and Danny's relationship. The book doesn't have the same type of moment at all. They just, like, drive the girls home and are like, man, I wish we'd gotten laid instead. Yeah, it takes away the, con- like, it takes away the central conflict of the entire, of the entire sequence. Very strange that you would make that choice. I mean, it must be a script to novelization, and then they changed some stuff when they actually got around to filming it. Like, it has to be. Right? The book lays a lot more track leading us to the race as well. It really puts Mm. a lot of ink into fixing up the car. The car gets way more fucked up by Leo when uh, when they have the, the first altercation with the Scorpions where he backs the car up into a... The, their 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 car gets way more messed up and then it's just a long journey of like how we fixed it you really get to hear how they fixed it yeah and was it clear from the film i did not know and maybe i just wasn't watching closely enough that they were stealing all of these parts it's not as explicit as it is in the book that's the, for sure in the book for the listener in the book they're like going around taking all of these parts and not like surface parts they're taking like carburetors and stuff out of parked cars and at one point they have to pull a a whole heist where they're going we have to take a windshield but that's such a conspicuous crime how could we do that oh we'll find someone who doesn't lock their garage and then they go into someone's garage steal their entire windshield and then they don't have a way to transport it because they don't have a car at the moment so they have a plan to stick it on someone else's windshield that's parked on the street because that won't be noticeable to the police which is brilliant but also, so much more work done in the book than the movie does, and that work sort of makes them seem actively evil. <laughs> but, they're, but they're really not. But they're really nice guys. They're so nice. They're yeah. Then they nice. get to the big race. Um, Kaniki gets bonked on the head so bad he can't drive. <laughs> a, a moment in the movie that is very, very funny to me, and in the book, I was like, man, maybe he really got hurt. Another version of like. The book is just a little too serious, maybe. Well, in the book, he was, like, flat out passed out. Yeah. I mean, it's so cute to me in the movie. Both the part where Kaniki's like, you want to be my double? And they get real cute about it. And then they're like, no, no, we're very straight, though. Very charming, very funny. Um, Not in the book. Uh, And then when he gets knocked out in the movie, there's that real cute, like, do you want me to drive? And Kaniki's like, yeah. (laughs) Cute. It's just funny because this is... This whole race is not in the original musical. I don't know Have if it's you... any of the revised versions, but like... How could it be? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's the same thing. Let me think of the spiritual successor of Greece, which is High School Musical, a better film. <laughs> I at least like feel like the conflict, like the conflict of are these two going to like each other and then also having the callbacks and the final game and the decathlon... Like, feels like it all sort of works well together. Whereas this just feels like you could cut it entirely. Yeah, I don't think the race adds a whole lot except for, like, context for the car. Which, like, you don't need a race to have a car. You're a teenage boy. You can just no, want a just car. No, they just have a cool car. It could fly. At the uh, yeah, Hell I guess yeah. because Danny ends up driving the car, it becomes his. Because at the end, it's like, okay, Danny, drive away and grease lightning. And it's like, isn't this Kanicki's car? What, what's going on here? Well, that, the, whole, the movie is a real Kanicki erasure. Yeah. They take grease lightning away from Kanicki. Reared. For no reason. 
In the book, it's Kaneki giving all those lines. God bless this yeah. book. <laughs> and then also with the race, like the whole reason to have the race in the movie and to have the, uh, uh, b- b- what's the rival gang? The, the something, the, the Satan's chariot. Yeah, but, oh, oh there's someone. Their who, car or the, is called The Hell's car chariot. is the Hell's chariot. Yeah. And I mean, because the joke is, oh, we're doing the Ben-Hur chariot race, but with cars. But when you're just reading about it, it's not <laughs> visually interesting. I couldn't believe that there wasn't an actual reference to Ben-Hur in the novel saying like, hey, do you remember that scene in Ben-Hur when such and such happens? Because he does like call attention to visual gags and moments in the movie that, you know, in this book. Uh, my favorite being in when uh, Frenchie is describing her dream and describes Teen Angel as looking a lot like Frankie Avalon, who wasn't a famous icon until the 60s. <laughs> like, he, in 1978, he was like a reference, but in 1959, no one knew who Frankie Avalon was. I'm nitpicking, but it just like. Frenchie was very ahead of Wait, her time. My, she was looking she at She had a from shows. God, so. My book said yeah. he looked like Taylor Hicks, which is who I saw perform oh, as really? a Teen Angel in the 2000. No, it didn't really say that in the book. Oh. But, but that is who I saw perform okay. as the Teen Angel in the 2007 production of Grease on Broadway. Johnny, I don't know what's wrong with you. Here's the description of the race. Leo came out of the turn bearing down for the kill. His boys and chicks were screaming for blood. The chariot was tailgating lightning, tapping Danny's bump- bumper, trying to push him off the road. Danny was forced up onto the rising curve of the dirt roadside, but held lightning under control. He rode the dusty incline for a few seconds, then whomped straight down its side to overtake the chariot again. With less than a quarter mile left, the chariot made its last move to recover the lead. Leo swept in from the left and behind Danny, attempting to force him off the road onto a dock or into the river. Danny bumped bumpers with Leo, moving closer to the dock and the water with each thump. Then... Danny dug down somewhere in Grease Lightning and came up with a burst of raw horses. He roared out and away from Leo as Leo swung the chariot over for what would have been the fatal bump for Lightning. Instead, Leo skidded off the road, up onto the dock, and down into the riverbank, landing with his tires stuck up to their skirts in muck. I'm he- I'm hooting and hollering. I'm lying in bed. What is it about book. this race that makes Sandy want to change herself? I don't know. That doesn't. They make also sense don't in any get iteration. his pink slip, and they don't take the Hell's Chariot. They should. They own that car now. That was the arrangement of the race, guys. Come on. Um, I, I did not rewatch the movie uh, prior to this record. I, I have seen it many times, but not recently. I've, I've seen Grease two more recently. Uh, but I uh, do have a question for all of you. I guess is. Uh, frequently while I was reading the book, while I remembered every scenario, how it played in the movie, I was questioning sometimes the order of things. In my memory, the drive-in happens earlier, but does it happen that late in the film? Maybe I'm just... No, I had the same reaction, Johnny. I watched the movie first and then I read the book and the drive-in is so much later in the book. uh, Or it's at the same place, but they push the entire pregnancy thing to really late. Yeah. Because there's multiple drive-in scenes, right? Mm -hmm. I think I found what causes Sandy to change in the musical. Oh. Because the song There Are Worst Things I Could Do is sung by Rizzo to Sandy. Yes, that is the moment in the the musical. You're right. And then she sings Look At Me, I'm Sandy Reprise. I, I just find thought, it, I always find it so hard to reconcile why Sandy is like, you know, I should become a badass chick. That would make me happy. Also in the 
the original she punches patty in the face when she <laughs> turns into a pink lady <laughs> but i thought um sandy's like transformation in her thought process was actually one of the few things that the book actually probably did a bit better than the movie because they at least gave with her like side conversation with marcia some explanation of her, like her mm-hmm. thought process and there was that part off to find the page where her and her Marsha are talking about like, you know, I have to be this person for my parents and this person for boys. And it's just like, I want to reclaim my identity. So I was reading that. And I was like, okay, like at least there's like something here compared to mm-hmm. where I watched the movie. It actually made literally no sense. Cause it's like Danny gropes her. And then their next, their next interaction is her being like, I changed for you. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. it's really sloppy. It's really upsetting. I mean, it. I wish there was more. I think there's a. You could play Sandy in such a way as an actor where she like is drawn to the pink ladies and is drawn to this sort of bad stuff, but like is like, oh, but my parents. Like, I feel like that's in the character. You could do it. Olivia Newton John isn't doing it. This book, obviously, because it spends no time with Sandy one on one, isn't doing it. And the only hint we get is Eric, as you were saying, that little bit where she's like, I have to be all these people. And I just want to be me. There's no in, in like. There's no. We, why would we think that who she really is is this like badass chick in spandex black leather with smoking cigarettes? I think the problem on his chest, very sexy. <laughs> I think the problem is in the book and the movie, all we can do is look at it as this like sincere choice. Whereas going back to the original musical, I think it is supposed to be a joke. It's like a riff on Pygmalion that like, oh, she comes back at the end with this big transformation, except it's in the other direction. She was a perfect prim and late, you know, Mm -hmm. perfect little lady. And now she goes back to being like this, you know, little street urchin uh, who says like, come here, Danny, grab a handful. Uh, It's uh, so it, again, it's, it sort of robs it of the the comedic point that it at one time was making. Yeah, I mean, in the same way that, like, in the stage musical, he also shows up and he's like, I'm changed. I'm, I'm going to change for her. She changes for him. And both of them are like, how stupid. Ha ha ha. Mm-hmm. And they both throw off the illusion of, like, we're going to change. And they just are themselves. And that's fine. And the movie is very much like, she changed and that's hot. And he's not going to change. And now they're just going to be like scamps together (laughs) since we uh discussed the since johnny brought up the the drive-in theater well let's just talk about this movie they're watching which oh i did like this yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean the first one the first one okay uh okay um let's see so basically the idea is that what the the girl there's a student Oh, a female student, and she thinks her, it sounds like boyfriend, is a werewolf. And so she goes to talk to a professor, like a scientist professor. And and she says, Professor, you don't understand. Craig has been sneaking out at night and then returning before sunrise. He's losing sleep and will never be in shape for Saturday's big race. And, and, there's a full moon. The professor got up and took Sharon's hand. I want to show you something in my lab, dear. Uh, let's see. But, 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 but. M- meanwhile, back in Professor Bloodnick's laboratory, cages with half-human, half-ape mutants inside line the walls. The professor explained, Old stock car drivers, you see. I used to be the track's doctor, Sharon. And these were once all helpless and battered crash victims. Now, look what miracles of science can do for the lost and brutally ravaged. 
The professor was beaming, with his arms extended towards his cages. Sharon's eyes bulged. Then she just screams for, like, minutes on end. <laughs> uh, your brother Craig has been coming to visit some of his friends here in my lab. They live only to see Craig, and he's been getting pointers from them for Saturday's race. So you see, my dear, Craig will not only be ready for the race, but he will win it. It's a great little Teen Wolf, like, uh, I was a teenage zombie type movie. Obsessed, do we think? Do we watch. think this is Ron de Cristoforio's un- unproduced screenplay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. That he was just like, this is never going to get made, but it's going to see the light of the day through my Grease novelization. We should make it in his memory. <laughs> I I kind of assumed it was a real movie for a second because he's constantly name checking actual songs. So I thought, oh, surely that this is some reference to an old B movie. I have a. You know, I was never aware of, but yeah, it, it does seem to play like the uh, the Michael Landon "I Was a Teenage Werewolf" movie. Yeah, I mean, there's so many of those sort of '50s B yeah. horror movies that are like this that, like, it's very believable. I'd watch it. Andrew, go ask Sven Gulli. He's in Chicago. <laughs> That's where I am. Um, yeah. the, <laughs> Sven Gulli is a horror host. I just couldn't believe that the characters were watching this movie and going like, what is this dreck? I got to get out of here. It's like, it sounds good. Sounds <laughs> good to me. Another sort of like inserted scene where like the our heroes are just like the shittiest teens in the world. They're talking through the movie. They cause a big scene. They eventually like Finn jumps up and like does his saxophone thing and they're all singing and dancing and everyone's like, shut the fuck up. We're trying to watch the movie over here. But they're greasers and they don't care. Doesn't really set them up in a great light. <laughs> Does seem like they're having fun, though. Those crazy kids. Um, speaking of them just being, like, you know, like, rambunctious teens and assholes, I think it was actually pretty shortly after that where they go to the palace. And I don't know if you guys noticed, they, the whole gang just really gets a kick out of doing this eggs pun. <laughs> and it's just like, mm-hmm. what the fuck was this? And that could have... I really it feels expected like a thing that, to, that should. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I really expected it to be in the movie because it seems like it's something like, like a, I can very well picture them doing this and like being obnoxious and having this moment. And then when it wasn't in the movie, I was just like, this just came out of this guy's brain. <laughs> it feels sort of like the part in Grease Lightning that's like popomatic, dopomatic, blah blah blah, whatever. Right? I don't have it, but it felt like that kind of like wordplay thing that like they do, and then it just happens once in the book. It feels like it should happen a bunch more times. So they're like, ah, oh, yes, right. a series of puns, and we all go around the table, and it's fun. Right, and for as, the like, listeners, that's exactly what happens: is the waitress asks them what they want, and they just all go around the table saying eggs pun, eggs, excavate, examine. Extravagant, expensive, oh. exist, excuse, exhaust. It's just like, what are they <laughs> doing? Also worth noting that it's eggs any style, so they're just saying any their style of eggs. Shitty. And also that going really, uh, took me a long time to understand. I was like, is this French? What are they saying? <laughs> and back to Sunny just being so uh, insightful and descriptive. Uh, when when the waitress comes and says, the waitress came hesitantly to our table. Her name tag read Tiffany. Sure, like the jewel. <laughs> he's being so insightful of the waitress's name. Yeah, he's he's a sensitive guy, Sonny. And I think, you know, we didn't, we didn't give him enough credit. Clearly. God bless him. 
I mean, look, the, the Sonny in this book, I'd date him. The Sonny in the movie, probably not. He's not bringing everything we know is in him to the table. <laughs> you, you would be I his like Marcia, should... Hannah? Yeah, he seems like a sweetheart. He really loves her. They really fit well together, you know? You'd be like brother and sister. <laughs> no. <laughs> I feel like we should mention all the weird ways that they try to insert the songs into the book. Like, one of them, one of them is legitimately, like, a song is just done as if it's, like, as if it's, like, you know, poetry over beatboxing. Well, the, Sandra D. Because but that's the one, the one diegetic says. song, like in the movie, that she is, she she is sort of mocking singing that I guess in actual life, as opposed to some of the others. Yeah, but she gets so much more upset at her in the book at the end of that. Like in the movie, she's like, "You making fun of me, Reese?" <laughs> but in this one, she's like, "What the fuck are you doing? Why are you being so mean to me?" That's <laughs> pretty and mean. And then they're like. Yeah, and they're like, Rizzo had to apologize. And then I think it's just a cut. <laughs> I really lament that the the whole Sunny narration device, it just, you know, minimizes the bigger characters from this, you know, show and movie. I mean, I feel like Rizzo and Kaniki and Frenchie, they're they're almost barely in it in favor of Sunny and Marsha. Uh, it's it's just always them. And even the, like I, I at one point I I was reading and I thought, are we just cutting the whole Rizzo pregnancy subplot? Like, is this too hot for the book? And then finally it shows up, but it it comes so late that I really legitimately thought, oh, we're just never getting to this because it's not about Sonny and Marsha. I remembered the pregnancy being a much bigger part of the movie and it's yeah. not. It's like a scene. It's like a scene. Yeah. I, I guess she it's a little pregnant. bigger in the show because there's a song about it. Um, but, well, in the movie uh, she at least does have a song in between like when it comes out and when it gets resolved. But with that song not being there in the book, it really is just like, I'm pregnant. And then 20 pages later, false alarm. I can't believe that there's worse things I can do is not anywhere in this book, even as a passing line reference. Like she doesn't even say that casually to someone. It just like, isn't there when that's like one of the top five songs from Greece, hands down. Right. I don't know if top top five. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I, I guess it. Uh, it's one of those songs. Like, if I was listing songs from Greece, it would be up there. It's one of the big ones. It's not one of the yeah, fun songs, but it's one of the best yeah. written songs in the show. I'd say. Yeah, it's yeah. a very good song. It works well in a cabaret setting because it's not really reliant on like the show. It has Obviously, a big Vanessa life Hudgens outside of when she did Greece. It. Yeah. Like, um, in the same way that like hopelessly devoted has a life outside of Greece. Right. Which makes it more like memorable to me. But that's a pop song that they wrote for the movie. Like they wrote that to be a an Oscar nomination. You know, there's nothing more annoying when you take a stage musical and you turn it into a movie and you have to write a new song because you want to win an Oscar. Well, they're always bad. It makes that me crazy. The worst. One of the worst. Don't do it. Really respect Suddenly, that Steven Spielberg said, be- "I'm not doing that for West Side Story." Fuck off. Like God bless him. Hopelessly devoted to you was nominated for an Oscar uh, and it lost to a song called Last Dance from Thank God It's Friday by Paul Jabari uh, wow. yeah, like, it's a Donna like Summer last, song is that like Ooh. Last Dance like oh, last, that song? last yeah. Dance last, last dance. dance for love I, 
Thank God It's Friday is one of my favorite, like, guilty pleasure disco movies. It's great. Does it, it have it a has, novelization? Oh, God, if only. Uh, it has, it's it's all about uh, one night at a disco club, and it features a young Jeff Goldblum and Donna Summer and uh, Deborah Winger, I want to say. It's great. What's it called again? Thank God It's Friday. Oh, indeed. Uh, there's an entirely, I'm just looking through my notes here, there's an entirely invented scene between Sonny and Kaneki as they're like getting ready for the rumble, which Hannah sort of alluded to earlier, where they're just being like, what does one do when you rumble? You just sort of fight, I guess, but no one will really get hurt, right? And then they're like, no, 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 it's like actually, you're just kind of posturing. You're just kind of like being scary and and that that relieves everyone. I was really quite, my little heartstring was plucked by that part in that scene where Kaneki's like, I really think I could murder him. I think I'm capable of that. And I think <laughs> if you don't watch me, I will do it. So you got to be careful about me tonight. I'll kill that boy. <laughs> it's just like one of those like little, I don't know, maybe like watching West Side Story nine times in like three months, like infected my brain in such a way that I'm sort of just like, wow, being a little gang member is rough, tough stuff. <laughs> Kanick pulled out a switchblade from his boot and flicked it open to show, a, show us his cutting power. You see, it's like this, guys. The Kanick can be a killer. So I sent a little message over to the Scorpions earlier tonight, saying if Leo shows up, he better be ready to die, or he shouldn't bother to come. I have a feeling that Leo and the Scorpions won't be coming. Is that it? Uh, yes, and I found the other one, which is, you know, Sonny, Kanick said, that guy could make a killer out of me, no kidding. He brings out the worst in me, and it feels good. A killer, that's what I am at times like that. And nobody screws around with a killer, not even another killer. It just, like, feels, it's just, like, a little bit of self-awareness that's, like, ooh, ooh, interesting, deep, yeah, thoughtful, and if rich. that fight, And if that fight happened, and Kanicki finally got the taste of blood... That would have been the prelude to him becoming a serial killer, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Which would have really fit into our novelization theme of people becoming serial killers. It's a it's a sort of scene that has like a lot of stakes and you feel like, well, certainly the stakes will finally go somewhere. Like they will have a fight and they will be like, oh no, we gotta change because being just like tough guy greasers who kill people on the street is bad, and then they just don't end up having the rumble. It just doesn't happen. So, and all of so that many... tension and stakes just like... Pfft. Totally. totally. And there's, I mean, nothing, it... there's nothing of the rumble in the movie, right? Like, that's just like not a thing. No, they solve it through the race. <laughs> it's like, why even... <laughs> and then even at the race, they're like, you know, if we lose the race, we gotta rumble. <laughs> we're, gonna have to, we're gonna have to hurt them if we lose the race. It's just so short-sighted that, like, yeah, we won the race. All of our problems are solved. It's like, but can't they come and kick your asses next week? Like, I, I don't know how this uh, totally uh, solves the issue of your uh, your gang violence. Yeah, the mutual respect of a turf war. Yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I guess. How are we feeling, guys? Are we in wrap-up territory? No, let's wrap it up, baby. Wrap it up, right. just like Kaniki did it. <laughs> oh! Hey! Oh. It broke! Right, here we go. Uh... <laughs> Eric Benjamin, you are a car that's going to be raced on the Thunder Road. Unfortunately, uh, Leo the Scorpion backed into you intentionally 
And so you have to spend a lot of time at the shop before you're repaired uh, and can get your revenge on him via winning the race. Would you spend that time in the shop knowing what you know, reading Grease by Ron Cristoforo? Well, I think I'd have to because they give the blueprint on how to reassemble a car. I could see what neighbors I should steal parts from, what old lady I should <laughs> consult for help. Um, it's all right there. So I think I think this would probably be my best resource. Amazing. And if you were a human man recommending it to another person, would you? I would not. <laughs> I would say watch the, <laughs> I would say watch the movie Grease or watch Re- Grease live. Wow. Wow, I wasn't expecting that. Wow. Wow. I mean, you know, it's it's fun as a project. Like, I, I did I enjoy reading the book? Did I get enjoyment out of it? I definitely did. Like, I guess it's not the worst use of your time. However, it's like, if you're going for the Grease experience, this would not be what I would suggest to do that. And it's just like, you know, it's... uh. Yeah, the musicals are musical for a reason. It's like all because like what I like about Greece is all the singing and the dancing and the sequences. Because for some of the crap we talked about the movie, it actually is very well directed. Like rewatching it, like some of the sequences really are great. Um, and that's just uh, it's just not here in the book. Um, but it, it, it's a fun time. So what I I wouldn't say avoid the book, and I'm not gonna say it's a waste of your time. But if you're looking for Greece, use the motion pictures. Hannah Blackman. Yes. You are a school in which many people attend class and experience emotional highs and lows. Summer break is approaching, and you're going to have a lot of time on your hands. In the brutal heat of June, July, and the first two-thirds of August, knowing what you know, would you pick up or I guess in your case, maybe read a copy that was left open on a table where you could see it. Grease by Ron De Cristoforo. Uh, I would. If I was that school, I think it would give me an interesting insight into some of the troublesome students who crossed my path. Um, I also just liked it. I thought it was fun and well-written and interesting. And if you can, I mean, I think Eric is totally right that if you're going for Grease, it's not the best version of Grease. But if you kind of want, like, a story about, like, 50s greasers and, like, love and whatever, I really enjoyed it, and I would kind of recommend it to various people. Um, I Yeah. It's not the best Grease, but it's, like, a pretty solid little novel, and I got a lot of enrichment out of it. And if I was a school who couldn't lift my feet to go pick up any other book, I would definitely read it. And as a human woman, I would recommend it. And in fact... I took this book on a picnic with me earlier in the week, and one of my friends said, hey, what do you think of it? Is it any good? And I said, it is. And he said, can you mail it to me when you're done? And I'm going to. So that's a (laughs) hands-on human being recommendation that That I am making. That is a huge milestone for this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. A truly interested party where I said, yes, I would recommend. I'll make sure you can read it. A recommendation Tell them to rate and review us to someone outside <laughs> of the podcast. I mean, just unprecedented. <laughs> uh, Marco, Andrew, Marco, Polo. Yeah, great. That's you, a little explorer. Um, you are the zip gun that Sunny makes in shop class in the book only that everyone makes fun of. 
Why are we all in inanimate objects? Overby started it, and now I'm keeping it going. <laughs> I would not have chosen this. This is my fault, because when we did Dear Evan Hansen, I made Andrew the printer. <laughs> this is his revenge. Yeah, well, I'm not happy, because I had better plans. But now Andrew started a whole thing, and I'm going to stick with it, because I'm a good pal. You are this unfortunate fake gun, and your owner has decided that you are not helping him front at being tough at a rumble. So he leaves you at home with his copy of Grease. Would you read it? Would you find that a compelling way to spend an evening when you thought you'd be used to threaten other teenagers? Oh, yeah. I, I enjoyed this book quite a bit. It did what my favorite thing in a novelization, which is lots of stuff that's not in the movie. It's its own entity. Whether that's successful or not, I don't really care. I just like when the books are different and weird and go somewhere. And I would absolutely recommend this to someone who like likes Grease. I'm like, do you know there's this book you could read in like an afternoon? That's all from Sonny's point of view. I would absolutely recommend it. Uh, and if not the whole thing, just read the first nine chapters. Just be like, hey, just read the beginning of this book where they add a lot of like, like prologue. It's weird. Yeah, but, yeah. As an amendum, I actually would recommend the first eight or nine chapters just because it is <laughs> it is so new. And that it was exciting for me as someone who's known this story my entire life to be like, oh, don't I haven't heard any of this before. So I, I did enjoy that. I enjoyed the whole thing. Just, yeah. Johnny Pomato, you are Bobby Barrel's car. <laughs> yes. You and your owner are incredibly insulted that with all your car expertise, you were not called upon to help in this very car-centric book with a big car-related goal. So you and Bobby are sulking. He's sulking inside of you. And he is reading a copy of of Greece by Ron DeCristoforo, knowing what you know in relation to this book, would you take that book, rev her up, slip the clutch, drop her into reverse, and the very next second, flat shift from low to high gear of reading, like Grease Lightning? As I've previously said, I don't really like Grease the movie. But I do think that I appreciate what was done with this book. I, I don't think a lot of it works, but I do think that there are ideas here and uh, some noble attempts to gloss it up uh, when you don't have the benefit of, uh, you know, having all those fun songs and dances. Uh, I, in some ways, prefer this to the movie, maybe. Uh, but I also think that you have to love, 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 love the movie to say, I need to know every little bit more about this in my life. I, I need more and more grease. Just feed it to me in any form. But uh, in terms of uh, movie novelizations, I would say there are worse books you could read. And that's all I got. That's great, Johnny. That was great. I was so sad that I was going to be last because, like, someone's going to do it before me. I, I'm not going to get to do my little song because surely <laughs> Hannah or Marco was going to sing this. But no, I went through the whole round and I was the only one. Oh, God bless. <laughs> All right. I think I've got one for Andrew. I'm ready. All right, Andrew. I'm closing it out because you started this. Andrew, you are a broken condom. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Having failed in your one job... You are tossed into the trash where you find a landfill of copies of Grease, the novelization. You read this. Would you recommend it to a 
your fellow prophylactics? Yeah, I, I'd or like people? to think I'm still accepted in the in the intact prophylactic community because I recently was one until I flat shifted from uh, intact to broken like grease lightning. Uh, yeah, I I would recommend this book a hundred percent. I would recommend it to pretty much anyone who had an interest in film or books. Uh, I I think I would recommend it as something to read before watching the movie. I mean, it's such an interesting companion piece. It really, I mean, it explicitly offers more in the sense that, as we've said, it has this entire prologue section that's not even a part of the movie. But then when you're in the movie, there's all of these additions and all of these characters and all these little touches. I mean, this is a really passionate work. This is like something written by a person who really was excited to be playing in this sandbox. And everything that's added, whether it works or not, is, uh, you know, there's love behind it, uh, which I really, I really adore. So, yeah, this is one of my favorite, probably top 10 novelizations that we've ever done. Uh, and I, I, I'm really glad that, uh, that we did it. I, I honestly. I feel like there's 500 other things in the book we didn't even mention, which which you just sort of have to do. It's so packed with interesting content. I mean, we, we just barely mentioned that chapter, you know, talking about all the American Pie people dying. And it's like, uh, you know, it's it's just crazy. The book's taking crazy swings like that, uh, and, and there's nothing to do but adore it. So, all right. Well, Eric Benjamin, thank you. Yeah, Eric, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This was this was a lot of fun and an honor to be on, and I, I enjoyed this whole process, top to bottom. Okay, to our listeners, please review our podcast. Here's the deal. New thing. I'm going to be one of those podcasts that tries to incentivize high reviews, okay? I'm going to become one of those. Wow. If, if you, you give us five stars... I will read a passage at the end of the podcast from a book that you request so long as the book itself is not, like, offensive or whatever. <laughs> um, so, yeah, do that. And I guess, I don't know, put your name in it. I'll do that, too. We don't get, like, any reviews. So I'm going to say this, and then there's going to be, like, six episodes before I do one. But you could be the first, so do it. Uh, cool. As usual, I'm going to close out the episode by reading... A hey, rate us, review us, subscribe us. Did I already say that? Whatever. As usual, I'm going to finish the episode by reading a passage from a classic piece of literature. Please tweet at authorized if you know what it's from. And uh, authorized pod. <laughs> authorized pod, yeah. Okay, here we go. Let's see if you can see if you can pick out what this is from. The grenade landed and exploded into the expected fragments just in front of the bunker, raising a small dust cloud and, no doubt, stunning the gunners within. Bet that got their attention, Enders said. If it hadn't, what Harrigan did surely would. The battlefront beach boy stood in his crater and unleashed a stream of fire, a terrible orange tongue that licked the metal pillbox, no! No! <laughs> sought, the, <clears throat> sought the slit, slithered inside. Why? Why are you doing this?
written a, a, a fun intro for all five of us. I want to clarify before we read these that uh, they are in the style of the Bobby Barrels intro, and mm-hmm. they are only based in alliteration. So if if your characterization is horribly damning, it's because I found a word to go with your name, and I really ran with it. So... Hannah. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> Ominous. I may say. Um, all right, Hannah, I'm going to have you start out by reading us Johnny's intro. I've just sent it to you in the chat. Okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I have to get the laughs out. Or it I'm assuming you saw the alliterative. <laughs> I did. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm... This is where we um, we lose professionalism, Eric. Is that I giggle about everything, and then I decide yeah. later on whether to whether to keep it in or not. It's about fifty fifty. <laughs> yeah, it takes. I I think everything's funny, and I like my buds. Okay. <laughs> okay, I can do it. You shouldn't have started with me. <laughs> um. Okay, we were settling down from all the excitement when Johnny Jinkos zoomed up to the corner. Jinkos was possessed by denim and oversized fits and talked freely and without encouragement on both subjects. She could mean the left pant leg, big as an oak's trunk, or the right pant leg. (laughs) Like a garbage chute on some scaffolding. (laughs) I got through that first part okay, huh? Yeah. There's a second part. Oh, it keeps going, baby. (laughs) This is a long paragraph. He unfolded some of them from his dresser like a body bag, fluffed them in the air like he was making a bed, and the very next second, flat shifted from skivvies to clothes. Like, (laughs) you only adjusted this a little. Yeah. Yeah. Um, From skivvies to clothes, like Grease Lightning, Bell Bottoms named for Alexander Graham Bell himself with how they (laughs) reached around the earth. He'd find a belt you could play tetherball with God on, rode it high and hard through the loops before the trousers swallowed him whole. Just for the audience, Johnny Jinkos. I'm so curious what two Andrews you're going to (laughs) be. Oh, well, you would be surprised in the direction I've gone. Um... Johnny, if you could please read this next one, uh, which is a description of our our good friend Andrew Marco. Okay, we'll put my new glasses to the test. The... the, uh, (laughs) Okay, I'll do my darndest. Yeah, take your time with it. Yeah. We were settling down with... Sorry, yeah, like I said. (laughs) New, New glasses... My first no, progressive I, lenses. Great sunny impression. Okay. Did, Johnny, there's nothing funnier than somebody coming in with such a take and such gusto and then backing out <laughs> Instantly bailing. Yeah, okay. I'll try it one more time. Okay. We were settling down from all the excitement when Maxim Marco zoomed up to the corner. Maxim was possessed by trite phrases and obvious... Obvious... Maxim was possessed by trite... Yeah. Maxim was possessed... By trite phrases and obvious observations, and talked freely and without encouragement on both subjects. She could mean, don't count your chickens before they hatch, or a penny saved is a penny earned. 
He'd walk into any nuanced conflict, take the temperature of the room, then say some shiz that made you feel like you wasn't... Then say some shiz that made you feel like you was being scolded by your your ma. Like, an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. The whole very next second flat shifted into walking out like he'd been a big help and... I'm sorry, I think I'm... This one is the most conceptually challenging. Yeah. (laughs) I'm very conceptually challenging, so it makes sense. More editing for Andrew, sorry. The very next second, flat shifted into walking out like he's been... The whole... Oh, God. I, Sorry, I, am I made going this so back. hard. No, 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 no. It's, it's totally my glasses. It doesn't help that these are, like, so long. Yeah, and, yeah it's, it's the typeface. It's a long it's paragraph. Th- I can't <laughs> zoom it. Okay, I can do this. The very next second, flat shifted into walking out like he's been a big help and scooted off like greased lightning. Probably for the best. I always thought if Maxim stuck around after a jab like that, he'd be the one counting the chickens dancing around his head after some guy laid him flat. I mean, just a Maxim? Maxim Marco. Like Maxim Marco. <laughs> no, we can cobble like something together from that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. No, we'll, we'll have a great time. Um, Marco, since you are, uh, since, since Eric is your close friend, I'm going to have you do his character assassination. Oh boy. Good. Yeah. I was like, you don't even know the man. I got to prepare right. myself. For <laughs> this one's shot. particularly oh, brutal and <laughs> it really is just alliteration. And, uh, it's so fun to have fun with my friends. Okay. I have a feeling, as as straight as I, can. I have a feeling it's going to be a beginning of a beautiful rivalry between us, Andrea. <laughs> Great. Love that for us. We were all settling down from all the excitement when Eric Edgelord <laughs> zoomed up to the corner. Edgelord was possessed by doing things for the lulls and seeing who could take a joke and talked freely and without encouragement on both subjects. She could mean his Fight Club posters or his pet bearded dragon, his Dane Cook DVDs or the rocking memes he posted online to get a rise out of people. He'd load up He'd load her up on memegenerator.com, find a photo of some astronaut who died in space, <laughs> paste the forever phrase, phrase, uh, alone face onto them. The very next second, flat shifted into tagging NASA, his mom, and his science teacher like Grease Lightning, posted it to Facebook, wrote it high and hard through the comments, and watched the outrage roll in. Sometimes I wonder whether listening to this podcast is comprehensible uh, just <laughs> based on how unclear my writing is. But it, it, another terrific performance there, Marco. I, I, I appreciate the gusto. Uh, and Eric, here's your um, revenge yeah, the, on me. The only thing I take exception to is the Dane Cook DVD. Everything I was going to say, what a day. <laughs> I know. I wrote, anything about Dane yeah. Cook. I wrote that yesterday. Wow, Would you believe so what happened? What happened? He's getting he, married. Got, um, he got married to someone who was... To someone who's 23 and, and all of the posts were like his long time love. They've yeah. been dating She's for five now. years. <laughs> Disgusting. Uh, all right, let's get my revenge. Uh, the horror. Um, all right, Erica, yeah, if you t- tell oh, us boy. about me. Okay, I don't know if I can do quite the performances that have been done before, but I'll do my best. I think, I think that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we set the bar pretty high. You did, you did. But especially with the voice work. Okay. 
We were settling <laughs> down from all the excitement when Olfactorly Overly Overbees zoomed up to the corner. Olf was possessed by body odor and an onion-heavy diet and sunk freely and without encouragement on both subjects. He could mean the breath clotheslining you at the neck level or a sickly sweet pronouncement of his graping pores. A uh, gaping pores. Here, I'll say it sense again. He could mean the breath <laughs> clotheslining you at neck level or the sickly sweet pronouncement of his gaping pores. He ate like crap, sweated from nerves, and slept in a room under his mama's septic tank. Then, the very next second, Flat shifted to waking up late for school, skipping a shower, and wrestling with the stray dogs he saw on his walk, pinning them down like grease lightning, rolling in the class where he'd fall asleep, wrote his dreams high and hard with mouth wide open, and snored at breath all over the room till the whole, craft, whole class is breathing last night's French onion soup. He smells <laughs> bad, is the, is the thesis. That seems all right, to be just the, one more here. What's that, Eric? So it seems to be the conclusion. Yeah, it's definitely the, the through line. Um, all right, just one more here. <clears throat> we were settling down from all the excitement when Hannah Hamburger Helper zoomed up to the corner. <laughs> Hamburger was possessed by ground beef and noodles and talked freely and without encouragement on all such topics. He could mean the meat itself or the sentient glove that was its mascot, with its red clown nose, beady eyes, or girthy fingers. <laughs> she, she put him on a low burn, stirred him till he was soft and browning, and the very next second, flat shifted from low to high heat like grease lightning, rubberized the noodle shoots, kicking al, del <laughs> kicking al dente himself to the curb, and rode him high and hard down oiled skillets, killing his personal circle of hell before she plated his ass. It's my best one. I wrote it first. Is Al Dente a person? No, but case? it it sounds like one. If you told me that there was a greaser, like if you're doing a production of Grease with like 50 kids and you have to make up some T-Birds and there's one named Al Dente, <laughs> I would not be shocked. No, I, that, it fits like Al Dente and then he gets in a fight with Broccoli Rob. <laughs> my, school, my school did hairspray and we had like... 40 nicest kids in town. I was lucky enough to be Brad, which was an original name. Uh, first one, actually. <laughs> but we had we had some, some goofy ones. I saw a production of West Side Story once where there was a Jet character named Stedge, which was just Jets spelled backwards. <laughs> <laughs> that one's great because you have to see but, it in the program to like, yeah, you get really it. But they also, attention. they changed the line in cool when he says easy action to easy stage. Stop trying to make stage happen, please. <laughs> the, 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 the kids bopification of musical theater. Um, all right. Well, as usual, worth every moment it took to do that. Let's uh, let's pivot Can't over to, to edit the... it down to 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.